Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, welcome back to another week. How are you doing? Alyssa, I'm doing pretty good. And I think you had a race last weekend. Did you sneak in like a sneaky little trail run? I did. It was just a, just a little jaunt in the woods. That was about 40 miles long. I ran the Uhari mountain run. It's down in North Carolina and it's almost like a local race. I feel like for me, because it's only three and a half hours away. So I can just drive down the, the day before. And I actually, I won the race last year. So I really wanted to go back and use it for, you know, some miles just as I'm training for some other ultras this year and try and defend my win. And spoiler alert, I was able to do that. It was super fun. We actually had the polar vortex come through the East coast. And while Charlottesville definitely didn't get it that bad, it was really cold here last week for a couple of the days still. And that all ended the day before my race. And so it actually got up to 60 degrees for the run. And that just felt like the surface of the sun for a bit of the, the day, but it was really fun. The trail is just like proper East coast trail running. It's a little bit technical, a little bit muddy, single track trails. It's 20 miles out. And then you turn around and run 20 miles back to the start. And it's just a really fun kind of day, early season East coast trail run, which I love. So it was really fun. Well, congratulations. And I am a little curious, how did your time, I don't know, can you compare times like this year compared to last year, just having done the long trail, you know, having done so much more running in the past year, did, did that affect your race day this year? Well, maybe because it made me about 20 minutes slower. (laughs) (laughs) Well, blame the heat. Yeah. Um, 60 degrees. As with any, I mean, it was literally the exact same trail. I, I just, I couldn't quite remember. I knew last year was really cold the whole time. And I think the highest it got up to was like 45 degrees last year. And I definitely run better when it's cold, but yeah, I ran a seven thirteen last year. I actually tried to go out hoping I could maybe break seven hours this year if I ran well. And I split the halfway at three and a half, literally on the dot. And I was like, eh, this is going to be tight, but yeah, I'll blame the weather. I also, I had some shoe problems. My shoes like split apart on me and stuff. So, uh, maybe, that was part of slowing me down. I don't know. I have a few reasons for that, but honestly, I think I just, I just ran slower. <laughs> Maybe your streak just had to come to an end. Cause you've been setting a lot of PRs. If anyone's been listening to us catch up over the last couple of weeks, I think you've set a PR at every single running distance ever over like the past six months. So, okay. It's good to have a little adversity every now and then, right? That's Get those shoes shoes stitched back together for next time. That's true. And I also like this race because it's always the first weekend in February. And so then you can just kind of have a good reason to zone out and you're kind of laying around recovering the next day. And I don't think I'd properly enjoy the Super Bowl if I hadn't really done something like run 40 miles the day before. So I did end up watching the Super Bowl and the halftime show and all of that. So I got to actually kind of be part of like mainstream society for a little bit. And Haley, I saw you had your own version of a Super Bowl party too. I did. This is the third year in a row that I've thrown a Super Bowl trainer party. So I invite a few people over to hang out in my garage and ride bikes and we watch the Super Bowl and it makes it a lot more entertaining than I would probably find a football game normally. And so this year was a little bit tough, um, even while you're on the trainer. I mean, it was kind of a boring game. I don't know. Did you think it was boring? Yeah, I guess I don't really, I mean, none of it's that exciting to me. So I was saying, I think the Super Bowl should actually have people like us who know sports 
And, you know, I would watch the channel that has like us commentating on it and maybe talking about some other things that are going on and some other relevant things kind of, you know, maybe in the NFL or things like that. And not necessarily because you're right. The play by play commentary was quite dry because there just wasn't a lot going on for them. Did you have any favorite commercials? That's a good question. I liked the one that had, I don't even know who they were. I'm assuming a lot of famous football players. I think I recognize Peyton Manning. <laughs> and they all tossed the ball around and then, you know, they <laughs> smashed the cake. On tables. And yeah, so that was fun to watch because I was like, who's going to pop up next? But otherwise, I don't know. And I mean, again, nothing really stood out. Did you have a favorite commercial? So I kind of missed part of this one, but I went online to look, but the one with Serena Williams where she was talking about, you know, if she had waited, if she had been patient, that she wouldn't have achieved so much as she has. And I, I really liked that one. Yeah. I think I, I actually have a note to go. I don't know the product. I don't know. (laughs) I have a note to go look that up too, because I must've totally missed it. And I did see a little blurb about that on the news. So maybe that one will will be my favorite. I just I have to go back and watch, which is great about the Super Bowls. You can go back and find those pretty easily. Yes. And we did receive some mailbag questions this week, correct? We did. Yes. We have a really big episode here. We have a lot of exciting news to tell everyone about and a great interview with Lisa Bentley. So we are going to save these mailbag questions for another week, but thank you for sending them in. And if anyone, you do have other questions that you want to, um, have us take a stab at that email address is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And so Haley, I guess we won't make people wait any longer for our big news. We have three big news things to share. And our first two are new sponsors that we are very, very excited to welcome on board. And without further ado, our first new sponsor, and they have come on board for the year, which we're so excited about is noon hydration. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about Noon Hydration. It's no secret that they are making pretty big investment in women in sport right now, especially women in triathlon, which is something we're obviously very passionate about. So we're excited to be partnering with Noon for 2019. Haley, it's a fun fact about me that I actually really despise drinking plain water. Like you will rarely ever find me drinking just plain water out of a glass because I, it's just not interesting to me. I like can't even be bothered because I just feel like it's nothing. And so I have been a long time noon hydration user because it tricks me into making sure I'm drinking enough and staying hydrated through the days because the flavors are so good. So I'm just really excited that now they are on board with Iron Women podcast. And for our listeners... Well, I was going to say, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Like what is the proper way to use noon? When you say you've been a longtime user, because it's a little bit different, right? That's true. So it's changed over the years, actually. I, you know, it's always kind of been the the tabs, right? And they make your drink a little bit fizzy, which again, I love and they flavor it. And so, you know, I'm a big, I'm doing a lot of grape right now. I do strawberry lemonade, but I think it's 16 ounces, a normal water bottle. I use my big water bottles too, and just drop one into the, I think it's 24 ounces or my hydro flask, whatever I'm drinking. I always am dropping the noon tablets in. If I have like my vest on or something with the hydration bladder, I just drop two or three in depending on how much water I have in there. I'm literally like always doing that. But then they also have the performance product, which has the electrolytes and the carbohydrates. And it also, that's like a little bit more calories too. So if I'm looking for something just a little bit extra in the workout and not just the plain like electrolytes, then I use the performance mix too. Okay. So the noon sport, then tabs that everyone probably thinks of, that those are, those are just for everyday drinking, right? Or you can drink them while you're working out, but they're pretty low calorie. And I think they're sweetened with stevia if I'm right. Yeah. And they, if you follow noon hydration on social media, sometimes they have fun ways to use those noon tabs. I always think of the like quarters. I have a lot of ones with change in it because when I was young, Haley, we would always go to the pool and it was like the highlight of my day every day to go get a snowball from the snowball man. I think this might actually be an East coast thing. Did you have a snowball man where you grew up? No, (laughs) I've never heard of a snowball man. That sounds terrifying, but I think this story is going to something with recycling, which I'm a fan of. So go ahead. Well, in a roundabout way, but long story short, like an ice cream truck, the snowball man comes around to like the neighborhood pools and the streets and he sells like shaved ice, you know, and you can get marshmallow on top and all that stuff. 
And anyway, I would just beg my mom like every time we heard the music for the quarter thing. And it, the, her little tube that she kept the quarters in reminds me of the noon hydration, the noon sport like tab tubes. And so I now keep my change in them just for some nostalgia in my life. But you can also send your tubes back to noon hydration and they recycle them for you or you recycle them on your own, whatever you choose. And for all of our listeners, the um, discount code that we have for you, it's code is iron women and it gets you 30% off your purchase at noonlife.com. That's a huge discount. That's a steal. I love it. So yes, code iron women, noonlife.com. And I think we're ready now to announce our second sponsor. Haley, There's another the one. Yes. This is like the best day ever. Our second sponsor is... Zelios, which is, I'm a big fan of Zelios products. If you're not familiar with their betwixt chamois cream, that is my personal favorite. They're also very well known for their sun barrier sunscreen. Currently I have very little need for sunscreen because I unfortunately haven't seen the sun much, or at least my skin hasn't seen the sun much, but the chamois cream, betwixt chamois cream is a staple for me. I spend a lot of time on the trainer. It's the thing I really like about it is that it's actually, it's a little bit less viscous than other chamois creams. So a little thinner, but it's really safe for your clothes. So you're not going to like ruin your clothes. You might have to use it a little bit more liberally, but it won't ruin your clothes. And I even use it under like my wetsuit in races, you know, around my neck, around my ankles, around my wrists. Um, just because, I mean, wetsuits are expensive. And the last thing you want is to put some kind of like petroleum jelly on your wetsuit that is going to ruin your, you know, thousand dollar wetsuit. And with all Zealous products, they're vegan, they're cruelty free, and they're not going to ruin your clothes. I've been, I actually did break out the sun barrier sunscreen today, Haley, because the sun was really bright today and I got nervous. It was almost 70 degrees here today and it will be tomorrow. And I was like, I don't think my skin's prepared for this. So I did use my Zelio sunscreen for that. And I'm really excited to try the betwixt as well. And they also have the shampoo conditioner and lotion and body wash. So I know one of the major concerns we all have is that constant smell of chlorine. And I think Zelios can help you out with that. And our listeners can get 20% off with the Iron Women code at teamzelios.com. So that's code ironwomen at teamzelios.com. Cool. Those are some great sponsors. I'm excited. And what's our third announcement? You said you had three big announcements. So what, what else? This is already like the best day ever. What's the third? Well, Haley, we are kicking off February. It's been a while since we've had a contest. So we are bringing a contest back with the help of one of our favorite sponsors, Wahoo. And so this, are you ready for the grand prize? Because you should be sitting down if you're not. This is like a huge yeah, sit, sit down and like be ready to write this out because yeah. you do not want to miss this. Okay, so for our Wahoo contest for the month of February, the grand prize winner will win Wahoo training products worth over $1,500. The grand prize is a Wahoo 2018 kicker, a kicker desk, and a kicker mat. That's huge. That's like going to set you up for the best season of triathlon that you've ever had. And then... The first runner-up prize includes a Wahoo Element Bolt bundle, which includes an Element Bolt bike computer, a ticker heart rate monitor, an RPM speed sensor, and an RPM cadence spot sensor. Whew. Haley, did you Those write it down? Those are some big prizes. I, I did. I'm writing this down, but I'm wondering what do I have to do to win? Because I definitely want to enter. And if it's only happening in February, that means I only have like, I don't know, like less than, like there's like 20 four days left. That's not very much. So what do we have to do to win? So to enter this, just go to livefeisty.com forward slash wahoo dash sweepstakes. And the landing page there will be the entry form, which includes email address. That's it. That's easy. I can do it. I want to win. So hopefully all our listeners do as well. So definitely go to that livefeisty.com forward slash wahoo dash sweepstakes. And enter for your chance to win. I mean, more than $1,500 in prizes. That's that's amazing. This has to be our best prize package ever. That's crazy. And I know everyone out there, whether you just enjoy riding inside like Haley or you're currently suffering through the polar vortex and really could use an upgrade in your smart trainer, 
this is the contest for you. So we're really excited. We'll be talking about it more this month, but get on it and enter today. Cool. And thank you to our partners at Wahoo for sponsoring this contest. Of course, we, we are big fans of the Wahoo kicker. I mean, I am, of course, I love indoor riding and element bolt bike computer, ticker heart rate monitor. They are, they're great products. So these are definitely worth winning. We have, you know, definitely endorsed them and we're thankful that Wahoo supports the podcast as they do. And Haley, we do have a really great interview for everyone. I think you guys will enjoy pretty much a legend came on to talk to us for this episode. That's right. We mentioned Lisa Bentley is here on the podcast talking to us today. She is an 11 time Ironman champion and a 16 time 70.3 champion. So she won all 11 of those Ironmans between 2000 and 2007. She was top five at Kona several times, had a podium finish there in 2006. And she did all of this while living with cystic fibrosis. So Lisa's going to come on and talk to us about her career, about cystic fibrosis, and about just everything she's learned during that time and what she's doing now as a coach and an agent. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You're right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So you and I met at Ironman 70.3 Pucone in Chile in 2017, and you were there racing as an age grouper. And I have a fun fact for all of our listeners. So in route to your second place age group finish, you ran a 133 half marathon. And me, up in the pro ranks, I ran a 134. <laughs> so <laughs> if any of our listeners aren't aware, it's a completely brutal run course in Pucone. I was very proud of that 134. And um, your 133 was very impressive. But I heard a rumor that in one of your many wins in Pucone during your pro career, you actually ran a 119 split on that course. <laughs> Is that true? I, I think so. I, I never got caught up too much in numbers and splits, but I know that I've loved that course and I loved running up and down those hills and I would just run as hard as I could. And uh, when I raced this one time against Erica Somar, she had three minute lead off me ahead of me off the bike and she's a great runner she's a 232 marathoner and I just remember that might have been the year because I ran as hard as I could that entire run so I would catch her but um yeah running was my thing but you're being very kind because you're not mentioning 
your swim time and my swim time. So just putting it in perspective, we all have our strengths and, uh, and you're an incredible swimmer. <laughs> so Lisa, we're going to go more into depth about your pro career in a minute, but I am curious to know what it's like racing as an age grouper now, especially on courses <laughs> like Pecone, where you have so much history and you can clearly remember you know, going head to head with some of the women there and in, in like your peak of racing, right? What is it like now? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't do too much age group racing and I've only actually done two races in triathlon as an age group athlete since retiring. Uh, Pukan, I was invited to because it was the 80th anniversary of their title sponsor. So they invited me to come race and I raced another race in Denmark and that was for charity for cystic fibrosis. So you know, I, I, I'm not against coming back racing age group by any stretch, but I do feel as if, uh, for returning professionals, there should almost be a master's category so that we don't come and are racing against age group athletes. And that doesn't mean that I, I don't deserve to be in an age group category. I certainly do. I get up every day at four 30. I work a full-time job, probably about five full-time jobs. So I do live the life of an amateur athlete, but, um, you know, when you've raced professional before it's, it's, it's different. And I don't want to take a world championship spot away from an age group athlete who is in, you know, aspiring in their amateur career to race at a world championship. So, yeah, I don't typically do it in the, the times I have raced as an age group athlete, I, I wasn't aspiring to go to a world championships, didn't take my spot. I didn't even want to take the plaque. I, I really just wanted to race. So I'd probably race triathlon way more often if they said, okay, Lisa, we're going to put you in a charity wave and we're, you know, just going to let you go race. I would do that in a heartbeat. Or if they said, oh, we're going to have this sort of, uh, welcome back old professionals to Kona. We're going to throw you all in a real A team and you guys get to do the Hawaii Ironman. I would do that in a heartbeat and I would do anything for charity in a heartbeat. But um, my competitive days in triathlon are well behind me. And now I just want to, um, you know, I, I still like going fast. That's the trouble. That's the problem with being a professional athlete. Former, formerly, when the gun goes off, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, you like to race, but really I just like to be there and be participating. So that would be my ideal way to race would be for charity or, you know, really just for fun. That's such an interesting perspective. And I think that would be really interesting to watch a former pro relay in Kona. That would be fantastic. Yeah, there was one, we, we did it at Subaru Ironman Canada one year back in sort of the mid, like somewhere between 2012 and 2014. It was the last year that the race was held in Penticton. And Graham Fraser, who was the owner of Subaru Ironman Canada, was stepping aside and Ironman was moving it to Whistler. And so it was the last year in Penticton. And I was at the event to celebrate the final year. Lori Bowden was at the race as well. And the three of us, Graham, Lori, and I, we all did a relay. And so I did the swim, Graham did the whole bike, and then all three of us shared the marathon. And so we just all ran a couple of miles and then a couple of miles and Lori and I started it together and, and it was, it was a riot. <laughs> like, it was so much fun to be, be able to be part of the event, but not focusing on performance or any of the things that we all had to focus on when that was our career. And Lisa, you grew up running and you studied math mm -hmm. and science in college and found triathlon in your late twenties and Ironman in your early thirties. So when you started the sport in the 1990s, did you imagine you'd be so successful? Not at all. I, I really started the sport as an injured runner who always took to swimming and biking as cross training so that I could continue to compete varsity track and field. And then it became a social outlet for me when I was away at university. So we had, I had a great group of friends. We all did triathlon together and really it was just a lot of fun. And I kept on doing it when I graduated from university, but you know, I, I would compare myself to the top people. And uh, I especially loved doing half Ironman. That's what it was called at the time. And I remember coming in second to Julianne White, who had raced and come in top five in Hawaii. So, you know, all these things are going through my head. But I mean, I was a teacher and 
I wasn't prepared to give up my teaching career and live the life of a student again to be a professional athlete. So I continued to teach full time, uh, but was racing as a as a professional athlete in status, I suppose only, uh, raced the Pan American Games, et cetera, and then started Ironman in 1997. I was still working as a full-time teacher, and I balanced that for as long as I could until I eventually uh, resigned from full-time teaching and pursued triathlon full-time. And what was that decision like for you? Sorry, Ramona's getting very excited about this question. My dog in the background. Um, You know, a, a lot of our listeners, I think, are women who are you know, thinking about taking that leap and making the jump from an elite amateur status into the pro field. And I think that's something that, you know, the lessons you probably took with you in that time and having the courage Mm -hmm. to make that jump is, is probably timeless, no matter, you know, Mm -hmm. what decade you're doing that in. So Mm -hmm. what, you know, less, like, did you have any kind of important lessons in that time or advice for any of the women who might be contemplating this as well? Yeah, I mean, it took it took a while to do it. I mean, I taught full time for seven years, and that whole time I was racing with the status of a professional athlete, and just kept taking leaves of absence to race. And I was a full time teacher when I raced in Hawaii, at the Hawaii Ironman, the first 1997-1998, as a professional athlete. So I, I tried to balance both for a long time, and that's you know characteristic of women for sure. We are constantly balancing family and, and life and career. And I was definitely one of the people that did that as well. I wasn't ready yet to walk away from teaching. I loved teaching. I loved what I was doing. Uh, I got a paycheck and I wasn't getting those, you know, those substantial paychecks yet as a professional athlete. And, uh, but I was finding myself really tired a lot and, it was actually my, my doctor when I went to see my doctor and said, you know, I'm so tired and, and, um, I, I, you know, I'm finding it really difficult to sort of keep all this up and I'm getting sick more often. And, she, and you know, her, her advice was you can be a teacher five years from now, 10 years from now, but you might not have this opportunity to be a full-time athlete. And so that kind of gave me the nudge and all the while, while I was teaching, I was gradually decreasing my course load. So in Canada, you teach three courses each semester. And so for a year, I taught two courses each semester. So I taught a total of four out of six. So I had sort of gradually less hours teaching. And then I ended up, when I ended up finally resigning, it actually took a push, to be honest. It took a really horrible race at the Hawaii Ironman in 1998 when I was cramping terribly and crying and walking and uh, ready to completely give up my sport, wondering what I was doing out there racing in a, in a bathing suit and uh, suffering when I had a degree in math and computer science and I could be making six figures somewhere instead of, you know, sweating and exhausted at the Hawaii Ironman. And I ended up going to a job fair thinking that I was going to quit triathlon. And I just kept asking the question, can I work from home? Do I have to work every day? And, and, and going to that job fair was like unpeeling the onion and saying, you don't really want to work full time, Lisa, you have unfinished business. So a lot of things had to happen. It wasn't a, oh, I had a great race. I think I'll quit my job. It was okay. I'm having some success, but I'm not ready to quit my job. It took a it really took almost failure, if you want to call it failure, at the Hawaii Ironman in 1998 to push me to see that I really had had some dreams and some goals that I couldn't realize in my current working conditions. So I ended up leaving the job fair and not taking the six-figure job, going to my principal at the school I was teaching in and resigning and basically throwing everything into the sport of triathlon. But I did keep, you know, I did keep a little part-time job doing some private tutoring so that I could justify getting a massage every week when money might not be coming in. And But, you know, you survive. And I guess the message would be get out of your comfort zone, make those changes. And but really think about it. it. It's not instantaneous. You really have to process it and it has to be right for you. And it, 
it has, you know, it has to keep you up at night. It, it really has to shake you a little bit, but always have a plan B. And my plan B was that I would continue to tutor and have sort of that side job. But once I was all in, I really was all in and I ended up having a great season in 1999 and, and made a great living and then continued on and was able to realize uh, my dreams, my goals and, and, and give myself 100% to my career. Lisa, earlier you mentioned um, a charity race for cystic fibrosis, and that's that's personal for you because you were actually diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a genetic disorder that mainly affects the lungs at age 20, along with two mm-hmm. of your three siblings. However, it wasn't until well after your first Ironman win, more than 10 years later, that you publicly disclosed that you were living with cystic fibrosis. What changed and made you want to make your health public? It was really finding meaning in what I was doing. You know, triathlon is is a very any sport. You know, it's it's, it's a bit it's a bit selfish, and I won my first Ironman. It was my dream. It was my goal, and I never wanted to have an asterisk beside my name that said Lisa had cystic fibrosis. Uh, I didn't want to have a built-in excuse because there was plenty of races I didn't win. And I didn't want to have that little crutch saying, oh, I didn't win because I had a chest infection. Oh, I didn't win. I was on antibiotics. And whether or not that was the case or not, I just, I'm not someone who blames performance on health. And that is who I am. And if I am on antibiotics and sick and I come in second or third, then I deserve to come in second or third. And there's no excuses. And that's why I never told anyone. And after I won my first Ironman, I went and won my second Ironman and that second win felt really empty and it felt like there needed to be more. And when I was trying to search for what was that more, it wasn't a third or fourth or fifth Ironman win. It was having impact on people's lives. And I, I looked inside myself and I realized that for me, my cystic fibrosis is very well controlled. Uh, I've got great doctors. I'm relatively healthy. Yes, I get sick, but because of sport, I am able to stay quite healthy. And But the reality is, is if, if you had a baby and your doctor came to you and said to you that your baby has cystic fibrosis, you'd be devastated. Then you'd go and check the internet and you'd Google people with cystic fibrosis and my name would come up and it does come up. And then you remember you're the mother of a child that's three days old. The doctor told, tells you your baby has cystic fibrosis and you see that there's a woman who's in her thirties at the time and is racing triathlon and winning. All of a sudden you have a lot of hope and your baby's going to be okay because there's this person named Lisa who's okay. And my baby's going to be just like that. And it took that hollow win, my second Ironman win, for me to realize that. And I thought, I got to do more. And I've got to be that hope for people. And that was pretty powerful for me. And, you, you know, you're a professional athlete. And I think you understand that an Ironman day is a long, long day. And it is way more than about winning you've got to have a purpose and you've got to have a why. And so every single time I raced, I knew that I was racing for a family with CF that was looking for that degree of hope. And I, every time I put a foot in front of the other, that was hope. And so it didn't matter if I won and it didn't matter if I came in second or third. What mattered is that I was doing the best I could with what I had and showing other people out there that they need to do the best they can with what they have. And, um, and, and, and so with that purpose, I, that was my superpower. <laughs> now all of a sudden CF wasn't this detriment to my health or to my career. It was really powerful for me that even in the darkest moments in Ironman, I had an a reason to get to that finish line. And I had a reason to run hard and I had a reason to run 119 in Pukan because I could deliver hope with every single race I did. And so I really believe ultimately 
uh, CF became a blessing for me. You do say that actually, Lisa. So in your book, An Unlikely Champion, which is a part memoir and part motivational guide, you actually say that you had two gifts, the gift of sport and the gift of cystic fibrosis. And so, you know, while it seems unusual, it seems pretty clear now from hearing you speak that you saw that gift as being your purpose and to race for others and to give them hope. And that I'm sure has meant a lot to many people through your career and thereafter. But at the same time, cystic fibrosis is a disorder that can require frequent antibiotics to control lung infections and it reduces lung capacity. So how did cystic fibrosis affect your racing and training? And did you have to make changes throughout your career for that? Yeah, it absolutely did affect me. I was on antibiotics very, quite frequently uh, during every year. Uh, I probably would go on antibiotics between three and four times per year, and those would be very strong antibiotics. One of the antibiotics I went on is a fluoroquinolone, which is a the that's the uh, kind and the the brand would be ciprofloxacin and it does cause Achilles tendon rupture ironically enough and I was on that many times racing Hawaii Ironman and you know while I'm racing I'm on this heavy duty drug and it causes Achilles tendon rupture so it's probably no surprise today that I have had Achilles surgery uh, so it it did affect me in that way I definitely battled through chest infections. I can remember two and a half hour runs where I probably coughed every 20 seconds. I remember competing in the Pan American Games and I was very, very sick and on antibiotics and a week before the race could barely run a lap at the track. But my belief has always been to do the best I can with what I've got. And I wasn't going to die from it. And I was maybe not going to race my best, but I was going to do the best I could. And that's, that's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, one of the side effects of cystic fibrosis is that you sweat out more sodium, and that definitely affected me in Hawaii every year. Uh, I, I sweat out about 2,000 milligrams per hour, uh, and that is in a climate-controlled room at set at 70 degrees and riding at 70% of max, which we all know is not where we're riding in Hawaii, and that's not the heat that we're riding in Hawaii either. So I can only imagine how much sweat, how much salt I would sweat out in the course of the Hawaii Ironman. So there were many instances where I had terrible cramping in Hawaii, and uh, which was one of the reasons that was 1998 when I ended up wanting to quit the sport. But I figured it out, and I problem solved it, and I figured out that I needed to supplement and take salt pills, and then figure out the right balance for that. So. Hawaii was my favorite race. It's probably the best course in the world for me. And, and I had great performances there. I was never able to win there. And, you know, maybe that was because of CF. Maybe that was because of the sweating issue. Maybe it was because I was most of the time on antibiotics when I was there. It, it's hard to know. But uh, I definitely have, I'm on antibiotics a lot. It takes me a long time to get over infections, probably a couple of months but I'm grateful that I'm able to treat them with antibiotics and that, that the, the doctors, you know, take good care of me that I, you know, I haven't had too much lung damage. Um, I mean, the worst, the worst my health got was probably the last year that I raced as a professional. So 2009, I was pretty much sick the whole year and every race, I, my lung function dropped and, uh, you know, it'd be quite funny to see my pre-race routine, which was, you know, hooking up to a nebulizer and inhaling, uh, antibiotics before the race or inhaling what they call hypertonic saline solution, which is a salt, salt water, just so I could cough out mucus before I raced. <laughs> you know, that's what I did uh, for 2009. But, you know, I caught some sort of a flu bug in July and it uh, just attacked my lungs and I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And my lung function would drop from 100% to to 89%, which still sounds pretty good, but 89% is is 11% drop. That's a lot less oxygen. And then it dropped to 79. And by the time I got to my last race of the season, it was Subaru Ironman 70.3 Muskoka. My lung function was in the 70s. And that was my last race. And then I, the doctors were going to put me through a, a huge a drug therapy program. And so I knew that I had to step aside from sport for a while to focus 100% on 
uh, on getting these drugs into my body to see if I could turn my lungs around, uh, which I tried. And I gave that three months. And then finally, by January, my lung function had dropped into the 50s. And I had to go on to intravenous antibiotics uh, for five weeks. And uh, it, it took a couple of years to bounce back. And it eventually bounced back into the 70s. And uh, now I'm, I'm somewhere in the 80s, which is great. But uh, it's interesting, when I retired, the doctor said, you know, your lung function will probably drop now that you're retired from sport because you're not working out as hard and your lungs aren't working as hard. And I, I walked out of it, that appointment and said, oh, I'm going to run hard on the treadmill three days a week just to make sure my lung function doesn't drop. And I really got onto the mission of, of trying to get it back. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really the goal right now. I love sport, of course. It's ingrained in my body, but uh, I do sport to keep my lungs healthy and to try to keep my lung function as high as possible and, and the lung damage low. Lisa, I was at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit last fall, and Sally Edwards was one of the speakers, and she's one of the pioneers in our sport. And she talked about how important it is for women to share their stories and actually challenged every single woman at the summit to someday write a book. So we previously mentioned your book, An Unlikely Champion, um, which was published last year. What do you hope readers take away from your book? I hope they take away the tactics for successful living. Um, I hope they take the message that you can be a champion of anything that you want to be a champion of. And a world-class custodian is no different from a world-class CEO. And a world-class parent is no different from a world-class business person. We, we all have that opportunity and that ability to be world-class. And I'd like to think that that's what I learned through my career. And that's what I've tried to put into print, those tactics. And then by using some of my examples that I lived every single day in my career and I hope that motivates people to get out of their comfort zone and to strive for what they think is the impossible, because absolutely nothing is is impossible. And uh, so, so empowerment of women is one message. Empowerment of people in general, and and I also know that for people in the CF community, it's the empowerment of their families when they're dealing with this terrible disease and that's sort of a sidebar to it. But I, I, I do know that it will, it will bring hope to, to those families that their children and themselves uh, can lead you know, very full and, and healthy lives and that they can thrive. In 2005, you raced Ironman Australia as the three-time defending champion and favorite to win. Um, however, during the race, pretty much everything that could go wrong did. Uh, you tore your swimsuit. You um, stepped on a tack, took an elbow to the face during the swim. You dropped all your race nutrition. Yet, you did ultimately go on to win that fourth title. So in your book, you do you credit that win with a change in mindset, specifically choosing to be kind to yourself. And I'm I'm drawn to that statement because be kind to yourself is something my own coach has said to me on numerous occasions. So I'm curious to know what it means to you and how it helped you race so well in the midst of so much adversity. I remember that race so well. Everything was going wrong. And, and, you know, the one side of my brain was falling into the trap that 95% of the population do, which is quit. And when things go wrong, you've got the excuse, you've got the built-in excuse and 95% of the population is going to give in. And, you know, when when I say that out loud, I say to myself, I don't want to be 95% of the population. I want to be the 5% of the population that finds a way where there seems to be no way. And so that became sort of my little game in the race. So it was a change of perspective. Instead of going, oh, oh, woe is me, feel sorry for me, everything's going wrong. It was, wow, everything's going wrong. Let's see if we can make it right. And we, we, we have that happen to us every single day. Every human being has things that go wrong every day. And it, it's not easy. I mean, trust me, I don't walk around with this rainbow over my head changing all the negatives into positives. I have to remind myself it's a constant mental gymnastics episode for me to to do that. 
But when it's race day, I, I'm ready for that. I do enough mental preparation that there's nothing negative I can't change into a positive. So I was ready to change my perspective and change my mindset. And and when I say being kind to myself, I mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest pieces of, of advice I give to people doing any sort of difficult task is be your own biggest fan. And we, we, we're desperate for fans. I mean, if you went and did a triathlon and no one was at the finish line and no one was there when you got out of the swim, I mean, that'd be a pretty sad, lonely place. So we, we want to have fans, but we sometimes aren't even our own fan. <laughs> we need to love ourselves. And I believe that your best performance comes out of love for self, compassion. And that compassion is for yourself, it's for others, and it's for what you do. And when I was faced with all those hurdles on race day, I, you know, I looked inward to that compassion. I love what I am doing. I love my sport. And would I rather not be racing right now? And the answer was a resounding no. I want to race. This is my Christmas day, and I want to race. I love what I'm doing. So I have compassion for what I'm doing. I have compassion for myself. Like, I'm sorry, Lisa, you lost your nutrition, but I am going to figure this out. I'm going to be the world's greatest problem solver, and I'm going to figure out a way to get nutrition in spite of the fact that I've lost my nutrition. I'm going to figure out a way to catch those people that dropped me in the swim while I was fixing my goggles or got a black eye. So I love myself enough to let myself be a great problem solver and rise to the occasion. And I love my competitors. I respect my competitors. And they get, they, we all get the privilege of racing against each other. And I want to give them my best self when I'm out there racing, not the self that's full of excuses and full of, oh, poor me, I stepped on the thumbtack. No, they get my best self that's going to throw my whole self into my race. And if they beat me, then good for them. They had the race of their life because I plan to give them my very best self on this day. And I will wholeheartedly congratulate them if they beat me. But I'm going to do my best to be my best and to cross that finish line first. Lisa, it seems like 2005 was a year full of obstacles actually for you because later that year in Kona, your appendix actually ruptured mid-race and you were forced to abandon around the 10-mile mark of the marathon. You had emergency surgery the next day and you even had to postpone your wedding. So it's one thing to deal with adversity when it comes to, you know, a swimsuit tear or stepping on a tack and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But to have to drop out of the world championship, postpone a major life event, that could have left a lot of people totally devastated. So mm -hmm. was coming back from all that, you know, in the same year where you had so many things happen too in, in some other races, was that about being kind to yourself or was there more to being able to pull yourself through that? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting question. And, you know, I don't think I realized how bad that year was until I wrote the book and I went, wow. There was a lot of indicators that I should have just fallen asleep until 2006 because there was a lot of bad things that happened that year. You know, I, I don't think I ever remember feeling too sorry for myself after the appendix. I remember negotiating like crazy so that I got to race and I, uh, I'd been feeling sick for about a week prior to the race and I went to a doctor 36 hours before the Hawaii Ironman with pain in my side. And, but I told him it had gotten better. And he told me that I had a fever of 102. And I told him that the Hawaii Ironman was 36 hours away. And he told me he wanted a CAT scan. And I said, well, a CAT scan isn't very good mental prep for the Ironman World Championships. Can I postpone the CAT scan until the day after the race? And he said, okay, but you're not going to have a very good race because you're sick. And I said, oh, just you will wait and see. <laughs> and off I went. And uh, and then I ended up not being able to finish. And the next day I went to the hospital, had the CAT scan, and the appendix had burst. And um, uh, what I didn't realize at the time is that condition is uh, something quite common with cystic fibrosis. So had I had these symptoms earlier, the CF clinic would have probably clued in that I was in the position to have a burst appendix. However, I got there and they decided they would do emergency surgery. And even at that stage, I was saying to the surgeon when he said, you're going to be in the hospital for 
three or four days. I said, does today count because I'm getting married on Wednesday? And he basically just put me to sleep at that moment and said, enough out of you. But, you know, I just, I kind of just went with it. I, I actually used all my mental tools as I got wheeled into surgery and I was nervous and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, what am I going to do? Where's my career going to go? I'm having surgery. What's going to be next? And I, I kind of, I remember saying to myself, Lisa, you're going on the start line. When the race starts, it's easy. Just let the surgeon do his job. He's the professional here. Just let him do his job and deal with it, you know, one, one moment at a time. And so I really, I just took myself back to first principles of, of being uh, a, an athlete. And it was one day at a time and one step at a time in getting back. Uh, we did end up getting married a couple of days late, but we got married and it just, everything kind of fell into place. I started to recover. I wasn't allowed to exercise for four to six weeks. That was one of the hardest things, but you know, I walk and I'd take my dogs out. So as long as I was felt like I was progressing, it was a good thing. And, and it made me very excited about the next year. I, I was worried about sponsors. I thought what sp- sponsors going to drop me. I didn't finish Hawaii Ironman. Uh, and I, I, but I was just chomping at the bit to get back at it. And so I, I, I don't remember feeling tested or testing my resolve. I just remember feeling like, okay, I didn't get to do my, my favorite race of the year, but I'm grateful that I got as far as I did. I'm grateful that I'm married. Everything happens for a reason. That's something I say to myself all the time. I don't know the reason now, but there's never been a bad situation that I've had that I haven't come out of further ahead. So I figured there's going to be some wonderful pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. And so I just got to keep moving forward until I get to that pot of gold. So that was, you know, that was it. That was my daily thoughts. And when I got to get back to exercise again, I was so happy. And, and, uh, you know, I went back and I raced Pecan that January. So, you know, and I was back on form and, and happy. And I knew that there would be a lesson in it. And I allowed myself to experience what the lesson was. And I tried to find the learning in any time it feels like it's an obstacle or some sort of a a trauma. And, you know, with that, there was a learning of being patient. And I also learned that being healthy and being fit are two different things. I was really, really fit and ready to race the Ironman World Championships, but I wasn't very healthy. And it put a good perspective on the next year that I was determined I was going to be both fit and healthy. And I was going to listen to my body and I was going to be good to myself. And I would still achieve peak performance uh, in spite of balancing health and fitness. And you did come back in a huge way that next year. You found what many people would consider a giant pot of gold. And that was a third place finish in Kona in 2006. However, in your book, you don't call that finish your most fulfilling and instead reference a 15th place finish in 2007. So what made 2007 so special? Yeah, 2007 was pretty neat. I uh, I was super injured in 2007 and I actually ended up having to walk half the marathon at Ironman Australia that April because of a bad Achilles tendon. And so that was April. I ended up taking off the rest of April and all of May and half of June to try to heal my Achilles tendon. I started running in the middle of June, but greatly reduced running. I used to run seven times per week. And now I was running three days per week with a long run of 90 minutes that I gradually built up to. I didn't come right back to that. My first run was 12 minutes in June, in uh, probably June the 15th. And I really wanted to race Super Ironman Canada, which was um, August 20-something, so about two months later. And so I went into that Ironman Canada with a long run of 90 minutes and three total of three runs per week. And I finished the race, and my I said to my husband at the finish line, I'm never racing another Ironman. That was so – my Achilles is so sore. It was so stupid, and I'm not doing Hawaii this year. And then about a week later, I got a note from a woman who had been corresponding with me. Her, her son, Carter, has cystic fibrosis. And she would write to me about Carter and tell me how well he was doing. And, and then she sends me this note after Ironman Canada. 
and said that she really hopes that I'm racing Hawaii Ironman. And she knew I was injured, but she's really hoping I'm racing Hawaii Ironman because Carter, her son, wrote to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And his wish is to cross the finish line with me at the Ironman World Championships that year. And he got granted his wish. And so, needless to say, I was absolutely going to be racing the Ironman World Championships. So I went and saw my sports doctors and chiropractors and acupuncturists and got my Achilles as healthy as possible. And I uh, raced the Ironman World Championships and was able to cross the finish line with Carter. And it was incredible. And I had always, you know, I after that second Ironman win, when it felt hollow and I realized my purpose was to give hope for people with CF, but it was also just general impact and and that race was all about impact and it was about fulfilling Carter's wish and being part of his, his dream. And, and wow, like what an opportunity to be able to, to do that. I mean, honestly, I speaking about it right now, I just, I honestly can't believe that I, I received such a gift. So um, yeah, there's no question that that race was, um, was a, a career highlight for me. Lisa, you now work as a coach and an agent for some professional triathletes. So mm-hmm. we're curious about what you think about the current sponsorship climate for pros and how you've seen it change over the years. Well, I mean, the current sponsorship has really changed. Uh, I've seen a change just from 2018 to 2019. And uh, in social media makes a big, has, has provided that change. At first it was probably a blessing because now when you created a partnership with a sponsor you could offer them the social media influence of that particular professional athlete so that was a great bonus and we could build terrific contracts around that but now uh, a company can reach out to anyone (laughs) and say hey if you put out um, a plug for us on social media we'll give you a gift card for a hundred dollars well, now anyone can do that. You don't have to be a five-time Ironman champion or a, uh, you know, an ITU WTS champion. You can be anyone that has a bunch of followers. And also, they don't a sponsor doesn't necessarily have to invest as much in you to get some to get great value. And I, I mean, I think everybody's budget is smaller. I mean, and this isn't just saying that sponsors are using other influencers i mean they're, they're being smart i mean let's face it brick and mortar stores are closing because online shopping is is the, the rage that's an intelligent store owner is shutting their doors and getting into online shopping that's them being intelligent and sponsors are being intelligent with their marketing dollars they know where their marketing dollars have the most value and there's so much competition out there and the landscape has changed so dramatically that they are they are investing their money in different ways. And I mean, the sport has changed a lot. There's a lot of Ironman races now. There's a lot of Ironman 70.3 races now. So to win an Ironman or an Ironman 70.3 isn't as potent as it was maybe years ago, because even though the competition is very strong, that's not to say that the competition isn't extremely strong and Believe me, it's no easier to win an Ironman or an Ironman 70.3 now than it was 10 years ago. It's very, very difficult, but it's it's more mainstream. And so it's almost being taken for granted. And yet there's nothing to be taken for granted of when somebody wins a race. A lot has to go right for someone to win. But the landscape has really changed. So it's it, there's a lot more professional athletes. So that's wonderful. And there's only so much money. You can't, you know, not everyone's a Jan Ferdino or a Mirinda Carfrey or a Daniela Reef. And uh, so it's, um, yeah, there's, it's absolutely changing. And, and it's not for me to create a solution. There isn't a problem. There isn't a, a problem. It's just, uh, it's the reality of it. And, you know, back when I was racing as a pro, I, I had my part-time job as a tutor. I mean, I stayed as a full-time teacher for seven years. So you can't expect that just because you're racing professionally and you've been winning some races. I, I won plenty of races before I resigned from teaching. 
so just because you're a professional athlete and winning races doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to have a part-time job. It's not a guarantee to making a living. I wish it was, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something that's evolving and we, I don't think I have any particular solution except win everything. <laughs> You're going to get some good sponsors. So Lisa, would you say that, you know, would you advise pros kind of to, to play that game with companies and they're reaching out to and to take, you know, what seems like perhaps very little and what might be like the company is giving, you know, a amateur influencer, someone mm-hmm. probably the same thing, you know, because that's just what we're dealing with or, you know, I guess like, I always kind of wonder if we all stop doing that, could we make a difference to prove that the professionals do have the value? And, you know, if we stop talking about what bikes we're riding and what gear we're using and everything, you know, to, to maybe show that there is more value within the professional community than with using influencers who have followers who might not even be triathletes, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I definitely do. I mean, I think I know that, I, I don't make the decision. My athletes make their decisions, but I don't, I never want them to cheapen themselves for a, a sponsor. I, I believe they have a certain value. And if you, if you cheapen your valuation and I don't think that benefits the triathlon professional community, it, it's similar to coaches, coaches who coach for free while you're devaluing all the other coaches that charge money. And, and there's a difference. If you are paid, you will do a better job than typically than, than if you're not that's, that's life. If someone, you know, when you're 10 years old and someone gives you a bike, you're probably going to let it sit in the rain. But if you go buy your first bike at 10 years old, you're probably going to be sleeping with it in your bed. <laughs> like that is, that is, that's life. So I, I do think that triathletes have to stand behind their value, but they also have to be realistic about their value. And you, you definitely have to, you, you have to be winning and you also have to have personality and you have to build a brand. And there's, it, it's, it's just like the great dancer. You might be a great dancer, but if you can't sing and act, you're probably not getting a job, the best job. So the best, you might be the best triathlete, you better be the best triathlete in the world, but you also better build a brand and you better be able to represent yourself properly and speak well and be personable and have a great community of people behind you. And that entire package is what you sell to a sponsor. So it's not always the best athlete that's going to have the best sponsors. That certainly does help. But you also have to have the respect of your community and be well thought of in your community and have a great brand. So you got to build that brand for sure. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so much of your wisdom. If any of our listeners do want to get your book, what's the best way to purchase it? You can go to my website, which is lisabentley.com and we'll ship it out to you and I'll sign it and I wish you all the best. And I know it's going to help you with life, with training, with racing, but with whatever endeavor that you are uh, undertaking all your journeys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. And hopefully we'll see you at some races this year. Sounds good. Take care. Haley, I thought it was really interesting that Lisa, you know, was saying she didn't even really remember how bad kind of the, the year 2005 was until she was sitting down to write the book and kind of compiling this list of all these bad things that had happened in the races that season. And I think that's really important because, I think some of the best pros are able to kind of compartmentalize and they're not sitting there dwelling on the one bad race that they had. Rather, they're like, you know, taking that, learning from it and moving on. And I just think that's such a huge characteristic of the successful women in our sport. I agree. And I loved what she said about finding the learning, learning opportunities and any obstacle or trauma. I think we see how it leads to success. But just a couple reminders as we exit the show here for our listeners, our new sponsors that we're excited to announce are Zelios and Noon Hydration. And again, Zelios is a 20% off the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. And with Noon Hydration, you can get 30% off with the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. 
And for the month of February, we have the Wahoo Kicker Contest, where you could win the grand prize of the Wahoo 2018 kicker, a kicker desk, and a kicker mat by going to livefeisty.com forward slash wahoo dash sweepstakes to enter. And again, month of February, but don't delay your entry there. And thanks to Wahoo for sponsoring that contest for our listeners. And Haley, I think the last thing is just reminding people that whatever app or device or thing you're listening to, please rate, review, and let us know how we're doing and what else you would like to hear. And I'll talk to you next week, Haley. Bye, Alyssa. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. <laughs>